0: is possible welcome to reloaded Monday everybody we are going back in time to episode 41 the warlock and white-faced entity a lot of people know this episode because this was the episode I shared my experience going to somebody's house for three hours to find out they were a satanic warlock and they lured me to their house so let's get to this episode right now
1: okay I'll reload it I I'll hide till it's bright out. will just
0: another lonely night. Are you willing to
1: sacrifice your life? They're staying in the shadows. Called probing. Make sure things are all clear. There's more for the rest of the program.
0: You guys hear that? He's out there. What? Welcome to the show, everybody. I am your host, Tony Merkel, and I am really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad to be here. If you've had an encounter or a story you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, Hit the connection section and you can reach me that way as well. So I told you guys that I was going to be sharing with you my most haunting experience I've ever had my entire life this week and I'm definitely going to get into that. But before I actually get into the story, I just want to share with you guys a little bit about myself because I know we have new members that are plugging into the show the last few weeks and you may not have had a chance to get to the older episodes where I kind of open up a little bit in interviews and share a little bit about myself So I just want to let you know that I am a Christian, and I did grow up in a Christian household, and I went to school to actually become a pastor at one point. Uh, I, I spent four years in college, and me and Lindsay we got married. She stayed in school. I dropped out so I could work and pay the bills. And when she graduated, I just didn't go back because that's life. So, uh, you know, I am a truck driver now and all that stuff. But I do have a heart for people. I really, really, really enjoy being around people and being a more positive impact in people's lives. That's just something that It's just part of my makeup. And it's really weird that it is part of my makeup because of my past. When I was a kid growing up, I grew up in a very rough neighborhood. And I always had to defend myself, physically speaking, uh, against neighborhood kids and things like that. So the fact that I spent about 10 years of my life in a very violent environment and the fact that I turned into somebody that actually really loves being around people and enjoying uh, people's company and seeing people, you know, become the best that they can be in life. Uh, I don't know. It's just, I think that's a miracle in itself. Anyways, getting back onto things. I wanted to tell you guys that because I actually still to this day, even though I haven't finished my degree to be a pastor, I actually do still share my faith a lot with people in my everyday life. When I talk to people, it just comes up because you know, what you're all about is something that you're going to talk about. You know, that's just how it is when you meet somebody for the first time, they ask you things about yourself. And so you talk about the things that you're about. And so the things that I'm about is my podcast, Bigfoot, paranormal stuff, ghosts, aliens, UFOs. I'm a huge NBA fan. Uh, I could probably talk your ear off about basketball and, I'm very serious about my faith. So sometimes when it's a more serious conversation, my faith comes up. And this actually happened to me several times. But at a specific location, when I was doing a delivery about two years ago, I was delivering to this one company quite often. It was it was very often that I was going in there. And I got to know the guy who was the receiver, always taking my delivery. And him and I got to talking and he started sharing with me his life story. And I'm telling you guys, this guy went through a ton of stuff. I mean, his life story, he actually is writing his life story down in a book. And that's how this whole thing came about. But it could be a movie. I mean, it's literally that dramatic. And so he's sharing me his life story. And he gets to the point where he's more up to date in modern time, you know, his everyday life now. And he kind of just stopped the conversation. I said, well, what's the next chapter, you know, what's the next chapter of your life going to be? And he said to me with a very serious face, he said, I don't know. I'm probably going to blow my brains out. And if anybody out there listening to my voice knows me as a person individually, you know, I can't let something like that go. I just can't do it. Uh, I, I can't laugh about it. I can't pretend I didn't hear it. I can't walk away from something like that. And so I told him just knee-jerk reaction, just just who I am as a person. I just said to him, man, you don't want to do that. God's got so much more plans for your life. And he kind of looked at me funny, and he started talking to me about God. And we just, that spawned a whole conversation about uh, my beliefs and God and things like that. And he really seemed like he was digging what I was saying. And so him and I got to talking and we, he actually followed me out to my truck. I'm, so I'm getting in my truck. Like, I'm like, okay, I, I got to go. You know, like, <laughs> I got deliveries to do. I can't just stay here all day kind of thing. So uh, I actually gave him my phone number, and I think we exchanged email or something like that. And he asked me, he said, can you meet me outside of work to talk about this stuff more? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, that's not a problem for me. Like, I would love to do that. So we actually scheduled a time for me to come to his house that Saturday. Now, this was a Tuesday a Tuesday morning, and he invited me to his house that Saturday at 11 a.m. because he wanted to talk about God. And I was like, okay, cool, you know, so let's do it. And so I called my pastor later that day just to let him know, you know, the encounter that I had that morning because I thought it was pretty cool and I could use some people praying for me for that Saturday because it's a very important thing to me and the people around me that are, you know, there to help build me up in my faith should know that so that they could be praying for me. And so I called my pastor and I told him what happened that morning. And he said to me, you know, this doesn't happen to me often, but this morning when I was sitting there reading my Bible, I felt God telling me that I should pray for you because you were going to have a divine encounter today. And that kind of blew my mind because I was like, here I am living my life, just being me. And my pastor's telling me that this, that very morning that I had such a great encounter with this guy and a great conversation that's going to carry over into Saturday. My pastor's telling me that he felt God telling him that he needed to pray for me that day because I was going to have a divine encounter. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, so, you know, it's, it's what we call faith builders, you know? And so I was pretty excited about that. And I spent the whole week just kind of like focusing in on, you know, praying and asking God to just kind of help me with that conversation with the guy on Saturday morning, no matter what the outcome is and stuff, just to kind of help me walk through the conversation in a uh, right state of mind and with accurate uh, words to speak. So, you know, I spent a lot of time that week praying. And as the week went on, I really felt God speaking to me and preparing me for a... um, how do I say it? It, I felt like God was preparing me for an evil demonic encounter. Uh, I guess that's the best way I could describe it. I felt God saying to me that what I was going to encounter that Saturday was going to be very heavy spiritual warfare, very heavy spiritual warfare. That's what I felt the whole week. And as Saturday approached, That feeling got stronger and stronger and stronger to the point that it was no longer a feeling for me. It was almost factual. I almost felt like I didn't even have to question it. I knew exactly what was going to happen Saturday morning. I knew exactly what was going to happen. Like That's how strong the feeling was inside of me as the week went on. Like There was no questioning about it in my mind. There's no doubting it whatsoever in my mind. I knew what was going to happen Saturday. And I was okay with it. I was okay with it. I don't fear. That's one thing about me. I don't fear death because I know what's going to happen to me after I die. I know what I believe. So I fear how I'm going to die, but I don't fear dying. Like I fear, you know, is it going to hurt? Is it going to be fast, slow? But the idea of death, I don't fear at all. So when it comes to these kind of situations, it just, I don't fear it. And so Saturday morning comes and I stopped by my church to pick up a Bible because I thought, you know what? I don't know if this guy has a Bible in his house. I don't know what he's got. I don't know what kind of education level he has with the Bible and and all that stuff. So I thought, let me stop by the church and see if they had an extra Bible. And so I stopped by the church and it turns out they're having a meeting there and both my pastors were there. And the pastor that, you know, told me that God told him to pray for me on t- that Tuesday morning, he was there. And so him and I are talking and he hands me a Bible And I told him, I said, listen, I really think I'm heading into a situation where I'm going to be dealing with a lot of spiritual warfare, a whole lot of spiritual warfare. And, uh, you know, he was trying to be encouraging and he, you know, told me, he's like, well, every time you talk to somebody about God, there's spiritual warfare going on. And I was like, nah, man, like, (laughs) you don't understand. Like, I understand that, you know, like, I'm not a dummy. I understand that. Uh, But this is a little deeper than that. I, I really... Think there's something serious going to happen today. And, uh, he's like, all right, well, let's pray about it. So we prayed and I went on my way because you know I had a commitment at 11 o'clock that Saturday morning. I'm walking into this guy's house and he wanted to share, he wanted me to share with him about God. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. And so I arrived to his house. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. I get there at 11 o'clock. I knock on the door. And as I approached the house, I started feeling this heavy, um, this heavy oppression, like you ever you ever walk into a situation where you're you're almost looking at yourself through your mind's eye. That's what was happening to me that day. I walked up to this guy's house, and all of a sudden, like I could see myself uh, in the situation in my mind's eye, you know. And I knock on the door, and I wait a second, and then the door just opens. It's seemingly by itself, and it's completely dark in the house. And I'm thinking, do I go in? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do. So I took a step into the door and I said, hello. And he stepped out from behind the door and he looked at me and he said, you showed up. And I said, yeah, man, I showed up. I said I was going to show up. So here I am. And uh, he said, most people don't show up. (laughs) And right there, you know, right there. Hold on a second. Let me rewind here. Right there. Most people would say, ding, ding, ding. Hey, bells are going off. He just said, most people don't show up. Maybe he's done this before, you know? So (laughs) you would think that that should, you know, say something to me, but I'm Tony and I just kind of go with the flow of things. That's just how I am. I'm just like, Hey, God's got me. So I'm good, you know? And so I step into his house and he closes the door behind me and he says to me that, you know, have a seat at the table. Well, he's got, I'm in this living room. And then it's his dining room, and then he's got his kitchen. And so I'm walking through his living room. And now, remember, his house is dark. Like, there's just a couple lights on. Like, there's not a lot of lights. if I remember correctly, the windows are covered. But I could see (laughs) from floor to ceiling in this guy's house, from wall to wall in his living room, was pinup girls. Just posters and pictures of pinup girls from floor to ceiling. And the very first thing I thought of was, man, this guy's a bachelor. <laughs> this guy's a bachelor. He definitely lives by himself. And uh, I walked walk through his living room. And as I'm walking through his living room, he's got uh, a built-in bookshelf coming out from the wall, kind of separating the dining room from the living room a little bit. And as I'm walking by the bookshelf, approaching the kitchen, I just really felt God telling me to be aware of the bookshelf. I don't, that's it. Like, I don't know what's up with the bookshelf. I acknowledged that I felt God telling me to be aware of the bookshelf, but I didn't like stop and stare at it or start going through things or say, hey, what's up with the bookshelf, man? I got a feeling here about the bookshelf. So what's up with that? I didn't do any of that. I just acknowledged in my head that I felt God speaking to me and telling me to be aware of the bookshelf. Okay, I got it. I walked by the bookshelf and I approached the table. And again, I felt God telling me which chair to sit in. Now, I want to let you guys know that this isn't an uncommon thing for me. Okay? I often do feel what we would say the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I've learned to listen to that voice. And sometimes I don't listen to it, and I wish I did. But I do recognize that voice, that inner voice. And so this isn't something that I'm like, whoa, this is freaky, man. Like, what's this is trippy. Like, this is common. Okay. This is common. And I walk into the dining room and I feel God speaking to me and God's telling me to sit in the chair between the table and the window. I just had this feeling. It wasn't like a a voice in my head. It wasn't like an audible voice that I could hear. That's not how this works. Like it's like an inner, an inner voice. Like it's just like, it speaks to your inner gut, you know, like your inner soul, your inner, your inner spirit. I I don't know how else to explain that, but I feel this. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not, there was only two chairs there. Let me tell you, there was only two chairs at the table. Okay. There was a table and then two chairs and on one side is a chair and then the window. And on the other side is a chair and then a door. And I'm thinking, okay. So I sat down between the window and the table. And we're talking, we're having a good conversation. I mean, we're just talking, it wasn't even Bible stuff. It was just the guy, he does, has a really cool hobby. And we were talking about that. And the conversation was just going really well. I mean, it was just, I was having a good time talking to a guy. We went out to his kitchen and because he, that's where, he, you know, he smoked his cigarettes and things like that. And he was just sharing with me a lot of stuff. It was just a good time talking to him. And we went back to the table and we sit down and we start talking about the Bible. And we start talking about God and religion and faith and all that stuff, you know, just a smooth conversation. And then things turned. He said to me, kind of out of the blue, I remember it was like, it was not something that we were talking about. He just brought it up. He said to me, do you believe in ghosts? And right there, (laughs) right there, I knew where this was going and remember i felt all week that god was preparing me for this moment like i all week i felt god saying to me you're going to be encountering spiritual, heavy spiritual warfare this saturday i was being prepared the entire week my heart was and so it wasn't a surprise to me when he said that okay and let me tell you i looked at him right in the eyes and i said to him absolutely Because I do, I do believe in ghosts, you know, and we can go into the theological aspect of things and all that stuff, but absolutely. And he looked at me and he said, okay, there's seven ghosts in this house. And this, the next thing I said to him was, it doesn't surprise me. And that phrase, it doesn't surprise me, was a very common thing I said to him throughout the entire rest of our conversation. I wanted him to know that it doesn't surprise me because I wasn't surprised. I wasn't caught off guard. And so he said to me, yeah, there were seven people that died in this house. And he started telling me different stories of people dying in the house. And I'm a bit foggy on how he brought this up. But he was talking about either people dying in the house or where they died in the house but he was talking about the deaths of people in the house. And he said to me something about something happening in the basement. And he invited me to go into his basement to check something out. The basement door was the door behind him, the door that was behind the chair that I felt God telling me not to sit in. I don't know what would have happened if I sat in that chair. I really don't. Maybe it was just something that, like, I would have been uncomfortable the entire time knowing that the basement door is right behind me after he said that to me. I don't know. What I do know is I really felt God telling me that I wasn't supposed to sit in that chair, and I didn't. And then this guy tells me that he wants to take me into his basement to show me something involving the deaths in the house. I passed. I said, "No, thanks, man. I'm good. We're going to stay up here." And at this point, we're having more of a serious conversation. Like it's no longer jolly, you know? Like it, it wasn't stern. It was just it was a serious conversation. I said and I just said, "No, you know, I'd rather just stay up here. It's it's cool." And uh he's he kind of just shrugged it off. He's like, "Okay." And uh he kind of turned the tables a little bit and we started talking more about the Bible and uh I started sharing with him about Jesus and he seemed like he had never heard about this guy Jesus. And it didn't surprise me because there's a lot of people that haven't heard about Jesus of the Bible and things like that. And sometimes they have but they don't really know exactly who he is or anything like what is it supposed to mean to them. So I was just sharing him sharing with him what we would call the gospel, you know. And he started really kind of digging it. Like he was like visibly, physically digging what I was saying and to the point where he looked like he was getting really, really antsy, really antsy. I mean, reaching around in his seat, kind of leaning side to side, moving back and forth. He couldn't sit still. And he asked me if we could pray so that he could accept Jesus into his life. And so I'm like, yeah okay, sure. Like, I mean, that that's, I've done that before. And, you know, it kind of caught me off guard because you got, you got to understand the aura in this house is very dark. It's very oppressive. The entire time I was there, I felt very, I felt this dark oppression the entire time. And he's trying to creep me out with some ghost stories. And he's inviting me down in the basement to check something out with the deaths of the house And then he's asking me to pray with him, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I I can do that. And so we prayed. And after we were done praying, now you have to to understand, I've prayed with a lot of different people, and I've prayed with a lot of. I used to do street ministry. I used to go into Philadelphia and surrounding cities around here, and I would do street ministry. I would talk to people, you know, homeless people or you know, people running drugs on the street. I would talk to them about God. That's what I used to do when I was in college, and so it's not a, it's not anything unusual for me to pray with somebody to accept God in their life, and so I did that with him and i've I've done this a million times, and I've seen people's reactions after. I'm done praying with them. A lot of times it's a, just a very calm reaction, a very, you know, a grateful reaction. They'll say thank you, or they'll just, you know, kind of be shy or or something. They don't know how to react to somebody praying with them, especially somebody they just met, you know? And I understand that. But his reaction after I was done praying with him, I've never seen before. He started shaking. He stood up out of his chair and he starts walking back and forth and he starts shaking his arms very violently. And it was very odd for me because I never saw somebody react like that after you're done praying with them. And he's like, I feel this energy just rushing through my body. Like, he was like really animated, very, very animated. And, I'm, and I don't know how, and now I'm kind of like, I don't know how to react to this. You know, I want you to understand, I was not scared at all during this process, but I was weirded out and I didn't know how to react to that because I never saw somebody act the way he was acting. And so I was just trying to play cool. And I said to him, oh, that's, that's great, man. Like that's, you know, you're feeling God, you know, feeling, <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. I was just like, yeah, you're feeling God, man. He's, he's, he, you know, it's coming into your life. You know, I just... I was, I was really baffled. I was really baffled as to what I was experiencing, and he's just acting like he's really excited. and He's like, "I feel this energy," and like, "I'm like, great, yay!" Like, I didn't know what else to say, you know. And he's like, "I, I just want to give you a hug," and I'm like, "All right, you know, cool." Like I've, I've hugged guys after I've done, you know done praying with them, and you know, you have to give them the bro hug, you know, the 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 pat on the back, the three on the back, and you separate kind of thing, and. I'm thinking that's what I'm going to, you know, get with him. And he just comes in for this full frontal hug, like just body to body squeezes me, puts his head on my shoulder. And he starts like moaning. He's like, ah. and I'm like, all right. You know, like, cool, dude. You know, I just patted him on the back. I'm like, all right, bro. You know, and I didn't. I didn't. Okay, you know, and you know, some guys they they get real emotional. Like people are different, you know, they react to different things. And maybe he was just an emotional guy and just wanted to give me a big bear hug. You know, that's what he did. He gave me a big bear hug, and he he lets go after a few seconds, and he continues to act very hyper animated. And so I, you know, this happened a couple times. Like he he gave me this bear hug a second time, and again, it's full frontal. I'm I'm not trying to be um perverted or crude or anything like that. I'm just trying to draw the picture for you. He was full frontal, body-to-body bear-hugging me and then moaning. And I didn't know how to react to it at all. I didn't think I was being sexually assaulted. That didn't even cross my mind. I just was like, this is new. This is very new. I didn't know how to react to it. And so... We sit down at the table and we start talking and he looks at me in this right in my eyes. He looks at me right in my eyes. And he said, very serious. I'm a member of the church of Satan. And right there, everything, everything, if you need a validation throughout this entire day of what I was feeling, you know, like I was feeling this whole buildup that whole week. And then I start seeing the different things developing throughout that day at his house. Everything was validated in that moment. I knew exactly what was going on. No, let me rewind. I shouldn't say that. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I knew that I knew exactly that God was preparing me that week and all the feelings that I had leading up to that day and throughout that day so far were validated in that moment. So I looked at him and I was kind of taken back. Like, I I didn't really know what to say because truthfully, I'd never met anybody who claimed to be a member of the Church of Satan. Like, I'm sure I've crossed paths with them throughout my life. Like, I'm pretty sure a lot of people do and they just don't know it because these people aren't like, you know, they don't have fangs coming out their mouth and wanting to suck your blood, you know, and, and wanting to claw your eyes out. Like, that's not, they look like normal, they're just normal people. And they're members of the church of Satan, you know? And so he looked at me right in the eyes. It's very serious. And he said, I'm the member of the church of Satan. And I'm like, okay. All right. (laughs) Like, and uh, I said something to him and he gets up and he walks over to that bookshelf that I told you when I walked into the house, I really felt God directing my attention to the bookshelf. The two things that I felt directed to was the bookshelf and to not sit in the chair between the table and the door. And so he walks over to that bookshelf. He unstacks some books and he pulls out three books. I believe it was three. It was at least three books. He pulls out and he puts on the table in front of me and they were satanic books. I've never in my entire life seen in person a satanic book. Never touched it. Never wanted to touch it. So as a symbolic gesture... The only thing I could think to do in that moment was I picked up my Bible and I set it on top of those books as like a, a sign of authority. You know, that's just the only thing I could think to do. And he said to me, now he's standing over me. I'm sitting in the chair. He's standing next to the table kind of like over me, but not quite over me. And he said, I want you to take these books out of my house. And you know, like I, like I said to you, this was all new for me. I've never experienced anything like this before and let alone experience it alone for the first time. And so I'm like, in my mind, my mind's rushing a million miles an hour. I'm like, I know God was preparing me for all this stuff, but I did just get done praying with this guy. He reacted really strange, but maybe he's just really excited about his newfound faith. And now he wants me to take these books out of his house for him. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'll take them out of your house for you. And I, and I, what I said to him was, okay. I'll burn them. And I was serious. Like I was I was gonna burn them. I probably was gonna burn them before I got home. Uh, Cause I wasn't taking them to my house. I wasn't taking these books to my house. And he when I said to him, I said, I'll okay, I'll burn them. He goes, No. He yelled at me that loud, like he straight up yelled at me in like this not like a different voice, but just a very stern lower voice. He's like, No, don't burn them. I'm like, All right, man. And he's like, I just don't, I don't like people burning books. I just, I just don't like people burning books. Do whatever you want with them, just don't burn them. And I'm like, all right, I won't burn them, you know. And so I, I didn't burn the books because I didn't want to be a liar. I didn't. I, I told him I wouldn't do it. So I told him I wasn't going to burn the books. And he sits down and we start talking a little bit. And then he started acting up again. He started acting real energetic and. He comes in for a third and final hug. And at that point, I was done. I, I I was done. This whole time I was there, I was there for three hours. This was a three-hour ordeal. This wasn't 15 minutes. This wasn't a half hour or an hour. I was at this guy's house going through a lot of this stuff for three hours. And I'm checked out. I'm mentally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. And this guy is coming in for another big hug. And again, he he squeezes me, full frontal body bear hug, and he groans with his head on my shoulder. And I was like, I got to (laughs) go. And that's exactly what I said to him. It's exactly what I did. I said to him, I got to go. You know, I got things to do, man. And he's like, okay. And so, you know, he walks me through his living room, I take his books, I take my Bible, and I leave. And I start driving away from this house, and I felt like I was driving away from a dark oppression. Like that same feeling I felt coming up to the house and in the house, that feeling was leaving the further I drove down the road. And so the very first thing I do is I call my lead pastor, not the one that I prayed with earlier in the day, but my lead pastor, I called him up and I told him, I said, listen, this is what happened today. And I have these books and I don't want them taken to my house. And he, I said to him, can I just drop them off at the church dumpster? Like, I didn't know what else to do with them. And he's like, you know, all right, I guess if you, that's what you want to do. And so that's what I did. I I took them to the church dumpster dumpster and I buried them down there real deep so they could just get thrown away, you know. I didn't know what else to do with them. I told the guy I wouldn't burn them. And so that's what I did. And I went home, I told my wife what happened, and as time went on, it started sinking in more and more, just what I all the stuff I went through, you know, and I was I walked away from that experience feeling like it was a generally positive experience because I didn't know how else to look at it. You know, this guy wanted me to talk to him about God. I did talk to him about God. He wanted to pray with me. We prayed. He got really excited in a weird, awkward way, but he got really excited. And I was like, okay, well that must be a positive thing. And I just kind of carried on with my life. But when that happened, That Saturday, that was a marking point in my life because from that point on, I started experiencing a spiritual decline in my life. That's the only way I can describe it. I wasn't losing my faith. I I wasn't questioning what I believe, none of that. But I felt like there was a gap growing between me and God. I felt uh, up to that point, I felt really connected. I felt really close to, in a spiritual sense, to God. And I was good. Like, I was like, every morning I would just wake up. And the first thing I would do is I would sit down on my couch and I'd be reading my Bible because that's what I want to do. You know, it wasn't a ritual, it wasn't something that I did because I felt guilty. I read my Bible because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to know the God that I worship, you know? And as time went on from that day, that experience I had, there was this spiritual gap that I started feeling between me and God. I just, I didn't feel like I was connecting on a deep level. And I started feeling sad and depressed. And this happened, this went on for, I'd say a good year, year and a half maybe, because I started feeling this gap. And like the whole time, the whole process, I wasn't feeling like... I was losing my faith. I was feeling like I just was not there connecting with God on a spiritual level like I was. And it hit me one day. I'm in my truck. This is this year, 2017. I'm doing this show for you guys, the confessionals. And I'm in my truck driving and I get to my one stop. I take my lunch break. And on my lunch break, I'm talking to my buddy that I go to church with. And for the very first time, I shared with him the story that I'm sharing with you. And like a lightning bolt, it shoots into my brain that that day marked the day. That was the day I started feeling this spiritual gap in my life. I never thought of it before until that day. And all of a sudden, things started clicking in my mind. I was like... This guy never cared to hear what I had to say about God. This guy lured me to his house to do whatever he was trying to do to me that day. And it all just started clicking. And, it, and the fact that he didn't want me to get rid of those books the way I was going to get rid of them. He wanted I was going to burn them and he got real mad about that. And I didn't know what to make of all this, but I knew that that day marked the day that I started feeling the spiritual distance between me and God. I told my buddy that, that I was talking to. It, just, it was like a revelation right there. And then I was talking to some people about it because I was trying to learn and understand what, what this all entailed. And I started talking to a guy who had experience, a lot of experience dealing with uh, satanic individuals, people who worship Satan. And I told him my whole story that I share with you, and he really believes, and I agree with him, that that day, that guy lured me to his house because he was going to try casting spells on me or sending demonic entities with me going home. And we, I, I believe this, that when I took possession of those books, the plan was for me to take them to my house. A.K.A. get rid of them. But in the process, whatever he attached to those books, he wanted me to take to my house. I really believe that. And I also believe that when he was hugging me so awkwardly, like it wasn't a normal bro hug, three times. I think he was trying to transition something to me. I don't know what, I don't know how all that works. But I do believe that when he was doing that, I believe he was trying to uh, give me something that he wanted to give me. And when we prayed and we did all that stuff, I think he was acting because now that I'm looking back at the situation, I started thinking, I've never seen anybody act like that before. I've seen people be excited and, and crying and and you know all they can do is then just fall on their knees and cry and 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 pray because they're just so overwhelmed but I've never seen somebody act the way he acted. And I've been around this my entire life. I've been been around churches and Christianity and all that. Like my grandfather was a traveling evangelist when my dad was growing up. So I, I was, you know, I come from this stuff. I've never seen somebody act like that. And I think he was just trying to put on a performance of how he thinks somebody would act when they experience what we call the Holy Spirit coming into their life. Because you remember he he's he's a satanist and so he understands demonic possession and maybe he was just acting out what he would think a christian would act like when they're possessed by a holy spirit and not a demon i, I and like this this is not scientific this is not you know fact or anything like that i i'm just purely speculating here but these are my experiences and so I really believe that this guy lured me to to his house to perform some kind of ritualistic transitioning of evil spirits into my life. And I don't think it worked, but it worked because I experienced a spiritual gap growing between me and God that day. And I think I was dealing with a lot of spiritual oppression. And it all started that day. And I didn't recognize it for a year or a year and a half. I had this spiritual oppression and I just didn't understand what was going on. Until that day I was telling my friend and it all just started coming together in my mind. And so that's my haunting experience. That's my most haunting experience ever had in my entire life. It may be just baby talk for a lot of you. I don't know. I don't know if this is like, you're like, oh God, just shut up and move on to the interview or what, but uh, that was the most, uh, the the closest thing I have ever experienced to the paranormal uh, haunting side of life. It wasn't a ghost. I'm sure there was a lot of spirits around me that day, but what i experienced i believe to be a warlock because a warlock the, the the actual term warlock means dark spiritual warfare that's what the term warlock actually means and what i went through that day was absolutely dark spiritual warfare and so that's why i believe That day, that Saturday, at 11 a.m., I had an encounter with a warlock for three hours. And it actually set me on a journey to learn more and more about the dark side of this spiritual realm. And for the better part of a year now, I've been really focusing in on trying to understand the other side of my faith. You know, so I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And there's an opposing force there. And that opposing force, the what you would call the enemy, I've been spending the better part of a year trying to understand how the enemy enemy operates. And it has not been a very happy journey. It has not been an easy journey because a lot of the things that I've been picking up on and learning are things that I felt like, I should already have known, and I felt like I was been. and I felt like I was playing, you know, behind. You know, like if you're in a game and it's the fourth quarter and you're down ten points with two minutes to go, like that's kind of how I felt. Like I felt like I've been playing in a game losing the entire time, and I didn't even know it. You know, uh, so that's kind of how I felt the better part of a year now. And I've been recently really kind of coming around to the idea that, you know, the spiritual realm is very real in a positive and negative way. And those two forces do clash, and they're clashing right around us. And if you're not aware of it, and you start dabbling in things that you're not ready for, it could whoop your butt. And just because you're a Christian, like a lot of times people say they're Christian, and, oh, that can't affect me because I'm a Christian. That's the exact mindset that I had going into that day. I was like, I'm a Christian. I got God in my heart. I'm good. No, (laughs) you still got things to deal with, even though you can't be possessed and God's got you, like there's still an enemy out there with a hammer beating you upside the head the entire time, you know, like it's like uh, just wearing you down. So that's what happened to me. And I'm done ranting ranting on about it. It's been, I don't know, 30 minutes of me talking to you guys about this story. Let's get into this week's show. I have Paul coming on, and Paul has experienced a lot of paranormal things as a kid growing up in his house. And one of the things he describes is a white-faced mask kind of thing, charging him. So without any further delay, let's bring on Paul and hear what he has to say about this entity that obsessed over him as a kid we work hard at being healthier and what we really need is better quality sleep (sighs) the new sleep number 360 smart bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides this is not a bed it's proven quality sleep It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. Paul, how are you doing, man? I'm good. Good. Why don't we just get right into it tonight and start talking to us about what actually happened to you as a kid growing up in your parents' house that kind of haunted you most of your life?
1: Uh, okay. I would say it was, uh, it was gradual at first. Um, I always remember when I was young that, and it wasn't just a general fear of the dark, uh, it's more bordering on like a paranoia. Um, I would see, you know, vague drifting shapes in the dark. And I always tried to, you know, make logical sense of it. I wasn't trying to scare myself and so forth. Um, and you know there would always be you know random unexplained sounds and whatever, and I was always tried to write it off. Um, but then the first thing that happened that I really that I could not ignore it was in a dream. Um, but it was uh, quite quite lucid. Um, I was uh, I was standing in my parents' bedroom, and I was fully aware that there was someone or something behind me, and uh, and it said. Uh, you should let me scratch your back, and I said no. And it said, "Oh, I'll just scratch your back for you." And then I felt cold rake across my back, and uh, and then my my view went third person. I saw my back. I saw just flesh hanging off, and I, I went back to my my first person view, and uh, and it said, "Did you know there's a window in your parents' closet?" And that's when I woke up and uh, sleep paralysis uh, felt like the room was spinning. And I heard this this repetitive sound go <laughs> for at least a minute, but it, it felt like an eternity. Um, of course, I, would, I was scared out of my mind, you know, that was really something I, I'm certain I didn't fall asleep for hours. Uh, the next day, um, I, uh, I went to check and from the outside, you know, there's no, you don't see a window where my parents' closet would be. And so I decided to climb in and check. And of course it was full. There's, you know, clothes hanging front to back, bags of clothes on the floor. And I crawled back to the back of the of the closet and there was a window uh it had been covered on the outside but the frame and the glass were still there i had no idea i never would have known i'd never been back there before um so uh and this is where and this is where it kind of gets even stranger and i and i I don't even know how to de- how to describe this, but um, I told my younger brother, I said, "Hey, did you know there's a there's a window in there?" Um, and we both crawled back there, and we couldn't find the window like it was never there, which I it didn't make any sense at all. Um, and we left, and I just thought that I was mistaken that it wasn't there in the first place. Um, and the next day my brother came running up to me and said, Hey, the window's back. I went back in and checked again. And there's, there is a window in there. Went back and checked. And again, it wasn't there. I know it doesn't make any sense at all. I know it's, it's kind of crazy, but that is that, that is exactly how it happened. Um, from there, um, I think I was probably around 12 at that time. Um, and from there, for, for a number of years, you know, it was – I'd see, you know, a passing figure out of the corner of my eye. Uh, things would fall off tables randomly. Um, there would be, you know, sounds sometimes. Just nothing, like, specific for uh, for a number of years until uh, it started to pick up again when I was around uh, 18, um, I started playing drums, and I and I got into uh, meditation and so forth. And uh, there was uh, I noticed when I was uh, when I was playing my drums that I would hear voices yelling at me, yelling profanities at me, and I, I I kind of tried to write it off like, oh, you know, that's just the sounds of you know my cymbals making you know, something that sounds like a voice or whatever. Um and until one day a friend was in the room with me and I was playing and I heard something yell F you and I look up and I see my friend look up really shocked and I stopped playing and he said, Did you hear that? Did you hear someone yell F you? And I said, Yeah, I heard that too. So that's that kind of confirmed that to me that there was some angry spirit that was cussing at me that didn't like me doing that. Um, but uh, in that uh, in that room uh, was a, a very unique, startling event. Um, I had uh, it was kind of a uh, it was kind of a porch area, but it was an upstairs because the house was a duplex once upon a time. And, uh, it was totally enclosed and I had put up, um, insulation and, uh, and acoustic panels and carpet up over the whole room, covered the windows. Um, so when it was, when it was night out, it was completely pitch black in there. You can't see a thing. Um, one night I had a, uh a show a concert with my band and uh, I had let another drummer borrow one of my cymbals because he said he had broken his and I had already gotten the whole rest of my kit back in my practice room when I got my cymbal back (sighs) I went walking into the room and was completely dark in there I literally couldn't see my hand in front of my face so I'm, I'm sweeping my arm left to right trying to feel for the pull string um, which is most of the way into the room. And uh, I, I see this uh, kind of dull white light um, kind of misty like sort of, and it was maybe eight feet away from me. It was in uh, approximately the right corner of the room. And I'm standing there looking at it, wondering where the source of light would be coming from it. Cause it didn't make any sense cause they're completely pitch black and Within about two seconds of staring at this, wondering what it was, it became a sharp, clear image. It was this thing. It looked like it, its face was like a porcelain mask. Um, just like black holes for eyes, small nose, small mouth. It was maybe five feet tall and had a gray cloak from its shoulders down to the floor. And just as soon as I realized that I was looking at something, some entity, it then ran at me and, uh, I dropped my symbol and turned and ran out of the room and, uh, and stopped a little ways later and turned around and looked, see, it did not follow. Um, and of course that, Scared me out of my mind. I had I had no idea what to make of that. I had no idea what that was. Um, and then it was uh, maybe two weeks later. Uh, I was going to bed one night. I had turned the light off, shut the door. Um, I was I had almost sat down on my bed, and uh, I had a this bowflex next to my bed, and you know sometimes I might throw like a t shirt up on it or whatever, and I look over as I'm as i'm sitting down i see this white something just a couple feet away from me and it didn't occur to me like i wasn't even thinking about that that uh thing that happened in my band room a couple weeks before just curiosity i started reaching out i thought is that a shirt hanging off my bow flex and uh just as my hand had almost reached it it just went from a dull glow too sharp it was that white mask staring me right in the face and uh and just i don't know instinctively <laughs> it doesn't make any sense i uh I jumped onto my bed and pulled my sleeping bag over my head <laughs> it uh seems like a pretty cowardly thing to do, but uh, maybe. <laughs> But maybe my logic was I had always been safe in my bed, you know. It like whatever it is, it's been there and it hasn't gotten to me while I was sleeping, except for maybe the dream. <laughs> so uh, I'm laying there just thinking, what, what the hell is that? What, I, what is that? And I heard like, like it just brushed its fingernails across the shell of the sleeping bag, and I'm like, did I just hear? St- did they, did it just touch my sleeping bag? And then it sat down on the edge of my bed, weighted in like it was a 200 pound person and I wasn't going to stick around anymore. I jumped up and as soon as I moved, I felt the depression lift, but I still just, I darted out of the room. I'm not sure if I even touched the floor. (sighs) Um. The, uh, The final encounter with that thing, that was the last time I saw that, that white mask face to face, uh, or at all is the last time I saw it. Um, but there was one final event. Um, I was visiting, uh, wasn't living there when this happened. Um, I was in the, uh, the downstairs half bath sitting on the toilet and I noticed this, it was kind of like a mist, um, but it kind of flowed like water. It kind of, it came up, you know, maybe two, three feet deep in the room. And I'm just looking down at this wondering, you know, what is this that I'm seeing? Um, trying to make sense of it. <laughs> and, uh, and the bottom of the door right in my view, and there's the door is spaced up from the floor a bit, maybe an inch and a half. And, I saw three long bony fingers with like claws on the end, reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear at the same time as that watery mist disappeared. Um, And of course that brought me back to the lucid dream where it said, can I scratch your back? And I saw the flesh hanging off. It was this thing had claws, Um, and that was, uh, that was my last, uh, my last run-in with this thing. Um, my siblings, uh, at least two of them, I have five siblings. Um, at least two of them also had, uh, run-ins with this thing. My, my younger brother says that, uh, he woke up to it sitting on his chest, uh, trying to suffocate him. Wow.
0: Now you said that your other siblings had... Run-ins with this, and you just told us your younger brother. What about the other sibling? Did they ever tell you what happened?
1: Um, the uh, the only other one that uh, that has at least that has acknowledged that he saw something it was my oldest brother. Um, I recounted my story to him, and uh, and he said, "Wait, that was real," and wow. meaning he he had seen it too, and he just he just thought he imagined it. That's incredible.
0: So this is uh, something that seems to be happening to all the kids in the family. At least how many how many kids are in the family? Six. Okay, so at least half the kids in the family have dealt with this. Have you talked to all your other siblings?
1: Um, I started to bring it up to my two sisters, and they didn't want to have any part of that. They, I mean, I, I know they they had haunting experiences that scared them, but they. They they don't want to go back there, you know. Mentally, even um, even uh, when I was, you know, I emailed you my story and, and it had, you know, reminded me of it had gone through my head a couple of times. Um, I I try not to think about it a lot because uh, I just have this feeling that if I picture this thing, that it might come to me. Because I feel like it's it, – I think it feeds off of fear and that's why it frightens children because you put off like an energy when you're afraid and that's it's food. That's my best – that's my best guess of what it is and why it does what it does.
0: Yeah, I mean that definitely makes sense because it's, it's doing it to – I mean – You said your two sisters didn't want to talk about it. So, I mean, it seems like all the kids experience something and some want to talk and some don't. Have you guys ever talked to your parents about this?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, They they don't live there anymore. So I think it seems like they've been more willing to accept and acknowledge um, the things that I've experienced. Yeah. back then when they were still living there, I think they were trying to protect their own sanity as it were. Uh, my dad wouldn't have any part of it. Uh, and my mom tried to, you know, write it off as imagination or whatever, but you know, now they, because I've, I've never changed my story for 20 years, you know, they, they believe me, they, you know, and it was probably part of the decision for selling the house. Yeah. I mean,
0: I can understand why parents would you know not want to talk about it with their kids, even with the fact that maybe they do believe you, but just by the mere sense of talking about it, they feel like they might be attracting whatever it is towards their kids even more, and so they sure. might just want to protect their kids by let's just not talk about this, and hopefully it stops you know now with yeah. the, the house. Do you guys know the history of the house? Was it built by you guys or was it already there? What about the area? Is there a history of the area that might lead to maybe a source?
1: Um, The house was pretty old. Um, It was built in the early uh, 1900s um, one time my my brother uh, he was he wanted to put another clothes hanger in his closet and he knocked a hole in the in the wall and like a, a 1905 penny fell out which was kind of an interesting coincidence um, I was uh, my uh, my mom had talked to this older lady who was a neighbor uh, she told her a bit about the guy that lived there before us um, and she'd uh, mentioned to her that the guy had some kind of coin collection they, that he had hidden in the attic um, and I think maybe that might have been part of it and it kind of just made its way in between the walls and just happened to fall out when he knocked that hole um, funny thing was that uh, when I when my mom told me about that um, of course I was kind of intrigued you know I thought hey you know there's buried treasure in the attic you know that'd be cool <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm I'm talking with my brother, uh, my younger brother, one night, and our, our TV was an old, you know, tube TV, and it was kind of it was on its last leg. And when it was off, these red lines would race across it; it was broken. And uh, but it was really weird that when I I said to him, "Did you hear that there might be like some coins hidden in the attic?" Just as soon as I said that, the TV stopped doing that thing, and we both had got like goosebumps head to toe and we both just ran out of the house um because there there are multiple spirits there and one of them is almost definitely that guy and i don't think he liked that one bit that we know about his coin collection
0: gotcha yeah i mean when you ran out of the house what'd you guys do did you guys just stand in the front lawn and look at the house or what
1: uh you know, we weren't out there very long. We kind of laughed about it because it was just so weird. <laughs> um, and we just stood out there talking about it, about, you know, conferring our experience of when what happened. And we just kind of went back in.
0: I got you. Yeah. Cause I mean, so you're not the first person that told me that they ran out of the house. And it's a question that I don't ask very often is what did you do after you ran out of the house? Did you go to the neighbor's house? Did you just <laughs> kind of stand in the front lawn and look at the house? We're like, you go in, no, you go in, you know? <laughs> you know, cause that's, that's really, I mean, when I was a kid, if that's something like that happened to me, that's probably what I would have done. You know, we, my, me and my siblings ran out of the house and I would have looked at them and all right, you go first. And I'm the oldest, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know but uh, when it came to this stuff, when I was younger, It's so funny that I do this show because when I was younger, I was the scaredest kid in the world. I mean, this kind of stuff didn't want anything to do with it. It would just scare the snot out of me. And now I find myself finding myself more intrigued by these stories than anything. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, you said that all this stuff happened at the house. And you mentioned before, as you were wrapping up your story, that even talking about it makes you feel like you're going to attract it. Now, has anything ever happened to you after you moved out of the house that would make you think that it is still attracted to you in a sense?
1: Um, I guess maybe a reason why I, uh, I why I don't like to visualize that thing. It, I I feel like I could uh, like I could draw it to me, and it was every once in a while, you know, it comes to mind because it was such a significant series of events in my life. Um, I had uh. I don't often get sleep paralysis. Uh, I, it's happened three times my whole life. So, so when it happens, it's significant. Um, it was maybe a year ago. Um, I, I woke because I felt like I was in danger and I was blinded as well. Uh, there's usually a good amount of ambient light in my room even at night, but I was absolutely blinded as well as paralyzed. And, uh, of course, totally terrified. Uh, I thought something was trying to kill me. Um, and the only thing I could do is, in my mind, I screamed out, I need my guardian angel. And as soon as I got that out, it lifted. I could see again. I could move again. The fear was removed. Yeah, that's uh,
0: that's significant because I mean, I've never had sleep paralysis. But when I hear people describe what it feels like, it's got to be the most scary thing in the world. Because like the last thing you remember is being able to move your body and everything. And now you're just totally paralyzed and you were even blind. I mean, what do you think you were actually like your physical eyes
1: were not able to see, or do you think there was something making the room just that dark? Uh, the second thing, absolutely. Um, my eyes were open. I felt my eyes were open. Um, I think there was something, some kind of dark cloud on me. Um, and, uh, I had seen something similar to that once uh, over my brother um, I had mentioned that uh, I got into meditation which the type of meditation I was doing it wasn't you know witchcraft or anything but it seemed to draw um, spirits to us uh, I think it's you know some type of energy that you put off or or something it uh, it brings out the paranormal um, I was, uh, we were both were sitting kind of next to each other and both meditating. And at one point I look over at him and where he was sitting, I saw just a black cloud covering him and, and of course I was stunned and I shook my head thinking, what is this? And I looked back at him and the cloud was gone. Uh, And I I said his name, and he he didn't even flinch. And uh, he just kind of breathed deep in and out. And then I looked at him again, and I saw, like, the face of an old man superimposed on his face. Um, At which point, I said his name again. And, again, not even a flinch. He just kind of breathed deep, kind of leaned forward a little bit. And then about two seconds later, he pulls his knees up into his chest and starts shaking. And he says, I was watching myself. So I kind of kind of think that he was possessed by the old man spirit in the house for a few seconds. I think he uh, I think in his state of meditation, he slipped out of his out of his body and uh, and the old man stepped in.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's. That's kind of crazy, actually. I mean, my first thought was astral projection. Uh, do you think that's a possibility or do you think not really? I mean, I've never done any meditating. I don't
1: really know how it all um, works. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I do absolutely believe in astral projection. Um, I I set out to try and do it one time. Well, more, multiple times, but at this time in particular, um, I just kind of willed myself to follow the brightest point in my You know in the dark my eyes closed I just kind of followed it and it sort of became a tunnel um, as I kind of pulled myself toward it and it went on for a while maybe 45 minutes Um, and then I, I got to the end sort of it was kind of like a jagged edged window and I went through it and I looked around and I was in outer space I just saw stars everywhere but more bright and brilliant than anything you can even see in the countryside you know uh, but that that only lasted just a couple of seconds um, before I popped back. It was kind of just the excitement of it. I don't know, it's hard to hold on to. Um, the other time, uh, I'm pretty sure I astrally projected uh, about four or five years ago. Um, often when I when I will lucid dream, I I usually. Levitate fly and it takes a lot of willpower. Um, I really have to think up, 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 up. And sometimes I can't even do it, but I woke up from one of these dreams and, uh, I kind of swung my feet on the floor, went to stand up and, uh, I just remembered how I was flying in my dream and how it would be so cool if I could do that in real life. And then I just floated up off the floor effortlessly and then I thought I'm still dreaming. Bam. I woke up again, still laying in my bed. And then I was like, wow, that was really something because in my lucid dreams, I always have sort of a tunnel vision, not much peripheral. And there might even be kind of a color tint. Um, There's, you know, there's an inkling in the lucid dream. Like you kind of know you're dreaming. Um, If you've, If you fully acknowledge it too much in a lucid dream I tend to just wake up so I kind of have to you know let the fantasy linger or whatever Um, but in this case I was fully convinced that I was actually awake everything looked right my room looked right Uh, I looked down I saw my arms and legs and I sat up put my feet on the floor and promptly floated up again effortlessly and then I woke up again, and <laughs> it happened a third time, literally three times in a row, the exact same thing, and every time, it seemed just real, like I was fully awake. I even said to myself, okay, this is it. I'm actually awake this time. You know, everything looked right. Everything felt right, and then I levitated. Uh, third time, I awoke. <laughs> <a> yeah, <laughs> and then the final time, I awoke. It was, you know, I felt tired and groggy. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is real now. Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean,
0: it's it's almost comical when, <laughs> when you say yeah. And then I floated, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not reality then. Oh man, <laughs> right. So let me uh, let me bring you back here a little bit because I got some things to ask you here, and I'm just gonna, I have, I don't even know where to begin with all the things you shared earlier. But I, I will say this: uh, Have you ever noticed? claws or fingers on the white mask that you saw that maybe would help you connect the dots with the the two different instances.
1: I can't say that I did because uh the the white mask thing it uh it wore a cloak the one time that I saw its full form. um I didn't see arms, hands, nothing. I just saw a white mask on top of a gray cloak rush at me at approximately human running speed. Gotcha. Okay. Now, do
0: you get the sense that all these different things are related, such as the dream, the white mask, and then the fingers underneath the door? Do you get the sense that those are all connected?
1: Yes, absolutely. There is there is not a single doubt in my mind that they were all the same entity.
0: Okay. So, And on that, I would say it's probably the same entity then bothering your siblings as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Uh, When this all happened, you know, when it first started happening and you had the lucid dream, you were, I think you said you were what, 12 years old when that happened?
1: Yeah, approximately. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, when you're dreaming and you hear the voice, were you able to
1: see the source of the voice? No, uh, it, it wouldn't let me. Um, I, Basically, I couldn't seem to move my feet at all. Like I would turn my head, and it seemed like it would just move out of the way. It wouldn't let me see it. I did try to look, but I I looked left and looked right, and it moved both times. And and that's when it spoke. Okay, I got you. Uh,
0: and you said you you did you didn't feel it scratching your back at that point, right? Because you said no, and you woke up.
1: Um. Well, no, actually, uh, it said. Uh, you should let me scratch your back, and I said no. And then it said, "No, I'll ju- I'll just scratch your back for you." And then I felt the cold across my back. That's right. And did your did you say that your
0: brother had a similar experience?
1: Um, not as far as the lucid dream. Um, he's never shared anything like that with me. Um, his. Uh, his most significant experience with this entity was um, he woke up and it was sitting on his chest and it was trying to suffocate him.
0: That's right. And did he hear it talk to him at all?
1: Uh, I don't think he's, he's ever told me that he heard it talking to him.
0: But you guys both did see a window just at separate times in your parents' closet.
1: Yeah. I still don't understand that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's trippy and it it it's makes bizarre. you bizarre it makes you wonder if there's some kind of like, I don't know, another dimensional uh, presence coming through. And maybe if you want to talk portals or something like that, I mean, because clearly the window, it's not there. I mean, you guys saw it, but it's not there all the time, you know, and it doesn't lead to outside. Like you can stand outside, you said, and you didn't see the window. Uh, Do you think it could be some kind of portal?
1: I, I really don't know. Um, we had theorized that there was some kind of interdimensional portal in that house because of that thing. Um, I, I don't know if the window is, uh, but the, it must be significant for some reason because it mentioned it to me in the dream. And then the fact that sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. I even had another uh, – there was a guy that rented the house from my parents after they moved out. Um, and I – I told him this story and he kind of (laughs) didn't, he didn't care for the story. But uh, when I got, uh, it was sometime later, uh, he told me that uh, he had witnessed having the window there and also not there.
0: You said that he saw the window there, but then also didn't, didn't see it
1: there. Yes. Yeah. he, He had told me that he had separate instances where, the window was there and where the window was not there. Wow. Okay.
0: Gotcha. So, I mean, at least you can look at it and say, I'm not crazy. Other
1: people have seen this. That's that kind of, that helped my mental state a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm assuming your parents, when it comes to the window, they got no idea what you're talking about.
1: Uh, yeah, no. Um, they always had that closet just chock full of old stuff that they never wore anymore. Um, and I think, I think my, what I mentioned to my mom, and I think she said, Oh yeah, there used to be a window in there. And, but that's about as far as it went. Like she never paid it any mind, never had any reason to, it was covered on the outside. But as far as knowing if it's not there sometimes, I, I couldn't tell you. Wow, that kind
0: of makes me wonder if your mom, just in passing, has seen that window also and just didn't think about it. And because it's a closet they just fill a bunch of stuff in with, they don't ever go looking Mm -hmm. for this old window that's covered up. And so she maybe said that to you, not thinking that it's not there now, you know? Right. Wow. Now, you talked about hearing voices when you were playing your drums. Mm -hmm. When you first started hearing it, you said that you weren't sure if it was part of the drums or what. Did Mm -hmm. Even though you weren't sure if it was the drums or if you were actually hearing a voice, how did that make you feel? Were you creeped out or was it something that you just kind of like nonchalantly passed over?
1: I was definitely creeped out. Definitely. Um, I think telling myself, oh, it's just, you know, the symbols bouncing off the walls, making a sound that sounds like a voice. It was just a way to kind of comfort myself, I think. But I knew that I was hearing like concise words. Um, I, uh, there, outside of the, uh, the, the masked thing, there was actually, there was a, there were in total, I think three spirits there. Um, there was the mask thing, the old man and the woman, um, and the woman was actually kind of a positive spirit. Uh, I once heard a female voice speaking to me as I was playing and it clearly said, sit up straight, concentrate. And that's exactly what I needed to be doing at the time. So that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, that definitely is. So, I mean, that experience with the woman is the only experience you ever had, right?
1: With the woman, oh no, what other experiences have you had well um, i I at one point I had moved my bedroom to uh, what what we used to call the playroom. It was the only downstairs room suitable for a bedroom, and uh, one night, I was up playing video games, and I heard footsteps walking down the hallway like Someone wearing high heel shoes just clear as day. It was three o'clock in the morning, no reason for anyone in the house to be up. Um, And then, uh, of course, that frightened me, but that was pretty much the end of that experience. Um, There was uh, one night, it was maybe 9 p.m., and I was just kind of wasting time till I had to go to work and work overnights. uh, And I heard footsteps. Clear as day coming from the kitchen, uh, light was off in there. Nobody was in there, but there were clear as day footsteps walking back and forth in the kitchen. And, uh, I, I hit the mute button on the TV to hear it better and it stopped like, okay, turn the volume back up about 10, 15 seconds later, I started hearing the high heel shoes walk around in the kitchen again. Uh, and I did it again. I hit the mute button and it stopped. Turn the volume back up a little bit later started back up again. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to work. And just took one last glance in that direction before I left and I saw a mist, a uh, human-sized mist, move around the corner from the kitchen into the dining room, which is the room next to me, and move in the opposite direction for a few feet and then disappear. Uh, I, I got a very real sense of, like, female from it. And, uh, and that was, that was the end of that part. Uh, left, went to work. Um, let's see. I, there were a number of times coming into the kitchen, turn on the light and I would see like a swirl of mist go up and disappear. Um, I had heard, uh, I was in the basement one night, I was working on a bike and uh, I heard a, a female voice speaking like directly above me, like pretty loud. It was like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, so I wouldn't think it could be like you know neighbors or anything. Wow! So it's
0: a, it was like a lot of little instances that kind of uh, yeah happened yeah. in that house with that entity uh, when you were in in the room playing your drums was that room specifically for your drums or was it like a bedroom
1: uh yes it it was for my drums uh before i turned it into my practice room it was just storage and so i put up a bunch of uh like i covered the windows with like plywood and i put up acoustic panels and put up carpet over that it was dedicated band practice room gotcha and so when your friend was in there and you guys
0: both heard a, yell, a voice yell and uh how, how did he react to that? I mean, it's not your first time. It's not your first rodeo with this thing. Uh yeah. the fact that you he, experienced it with somebody else, how did he react and how did you react to that
1: situation? Well, he was he was shocked. Uh his eyes got really big and he said, "Did you hear someone yell F you?" Cuz I didn't yell it. <laughs> uh that was uh it, it was pretty he's pretty exasperated about it yeah i mean I, I would
0: be too especially if i'm looking at you and i know you didn't do
1: it right and i'm right. assuming
0: it's pretty loud in there to begin with when you guys are practicing
1: uh, right yeah well just I, I was just practicing he wasn't uh a bandmate. mate he he's just a friend still drums are pretty loud i know yeah, that for yes. a fact yes yes my drums are loud yeah
0: all right well i mean you guys hear this voice it's over the drums did you ever get a sense that it was not an audible voice but rather something that projected into both your heads
1: you know I really I'm, I can't be sure I really can't be sure uh, it but it would seem to me that if it were somehow psychically projected that it should have been just one or the other of us um, I I kind of assumed it would it was audible. Do you think that whatever it was
0: was yelling because of the drums being loud or do you think it was just
1: a taunting spirit no matter what? Um I think I think it was a combination of things. Um I think the drums being loud is definitely part of it because it happened whether I was alone or not. Um, it might've been directed at my friend because, uh, from what I have been told about the old man that lived there before us, he was not a nice fellow. Um, and, uh, he would have, he would have died back in, uh, like the late sixties. And, uh, my friend was a black guy and I think maybe he was racist toward him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: Kind of residual, uh, psychological pensions towards, you know, African-Americans. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, I mean, it—it's anything's possible, really. I mean, when it comes to when you're—if you're dealing with a spirit of somebody who was once alive, I mean, the longer back you go, the more culturally different things were, and just sure. because society and culture changed since then doesn't mean they did, you know. So, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that's interesting, though. When it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the mist in the bed, I think no, it was the bathroom that you said. It, the mist happened underneath the door, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you first saw this mist, and I think you described it almost like, it almost looked like it was fluid like water, like fluent like yes. water. Yeah. Could you smell anything or hear anything when this was no. happening?
1: No, not at all.
0: Okay. So you see this happen, and you see the, I'm assuming you saw the the fingers. You said it was three fingers coming underneath the door. Uh Yeah did the fingers make a sound at all
1: no no sound at all
0: okay wow so how long did this instance last because i mean i find this this whole that, encounter very interesting
1: that was it was very quick um from when i saw that that water like mist um it lingered for maybe i want to say 8 to 8 to 10 seconds before i saw the fingers and the fingers uh they they weren't moving quickly, they, they reached up fairly slow and just sort of curled one after the other up toward like it was almost getting ready to grab the bottom of the door. One curled, the other started to follow, the third started to follow, and as soon as the, all three fingers were curled up, it disappeared.
0: How, how big were the fingers? Like How long were they? Uh,
1: well, the door is about two inches thick, and the fingers stuck a good two inches beyond that. They were thin, like really skinny, except the knuckles were kind of bony and fingernails were like like claws. They were long and pointy. So when you see these three
0: fingers, did you get a sense that they were human-like fingers or did you get a sense that these were not human-like fingers? This is something else more along the lines of
1: maybe evil, demonic spirit kind of thing. You know, it's funny. The first thing I thought is that looks exactly like the way witches' fingers are made to look in cartoons. <laughs> that was that was the first thought in my mind. Um, but I also definitely associate it with the with the white masked thing. Yeah,
0: I mean, what you said earlier about how when you saw the claws, it took you back to that dream that you had. I mean, that's exactly what I thought too. When you said that to me, I was thinking, well, that sounds just like the thing that was in his dream. When yeah. you saw this and it lasted eight seconds, what happened afterwards? Did you run out of the bathroom or were you kind of like trapped in the bathroom, scared to open the
1: door? Well, I had to finish and wipe, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to finish the duty first. Right.
0: I got you. So, I mean, when you opened the door, there wasn't anything there. There wasn't uh, no. any trace of anything. Nothing at all. And you never saw any claw marks anywhere on the door? Nope. Have you ever noticed any scratches on anybody's body? your body, claw marks anywhere in the house?
1: Uh, not to not no, I don't think so,
0: okay, yeah, I was just trying to cover all the bases here because uh that is such a detailed now the way you described it, it's a detailed description whereas in you saw this, and I'm assuming it looked very physical and real to you, right.
1: Yes, absolutely. Whenever I saw it, it looked totally real, totally physical. It wasn't see-through, it wasn't misty, it looked solid.
0: Okay. And uh I'm going to ask you to me it's a silly question, but I know people are going to think this and I would like to address it. There is there any chance that somebody was playing a prank on you when you were in the bathroom?
1: Um no. It no way because I would have seen the fingers retract. They didn't retract, they disappeared. Gotcha. And I'm assuming nobody
0: in your family has access to hologramic material or hologramic computering. Yeah, no. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. I remember you saying that you saw this I think you said it was the, the white mask entity again in your bedroom when you thought you had a shirt on your bow flex. Is that right. right? Okay. Right. Now when you saw this on your, when you thought you saw a shirt on your flex and you reached towards it, do you think that was purposely done? do Do you think that whatever that was knew that you had a habit of putting clothes on your
1: on your bowflex, and maybe it's trying to trick that, you? That could that could very well be. Um, there were a number of things unexplainable things that happened in that house that came off as kind of clever. Um. So it's a definite possibility.
0: And I wanted to ask you, I think I forgot to ask you this earlier. When you saw this thing run towards you, I think it was the first time you ever saw it is when it charged you, right? Yes. Did you ever hear it charge you or was it just something visual? Did you ever hear anything run across the floor?
1: No, I didn't hear anything. It was totally silent.
0: Gotcha. And so we're back in your room. You see this entity. You thought it was a shirt on a bow flex, you cover up. You that's the first reaction, and honestly, that's a common reaction. Yeah. You first felt it, it run its hand down your back. Now, did you happen to feel how many fingers were running down your back? Could you
1: tell? No, it it uh it didn't run its hand down my back. It it brushed the shell of my sleeping bag and it made a sound. Kind of like a zzzz. Cause it was like a, like a slick nylon shell and it sounded like, like fingernails lightly brushed across it. Gotcha. All right.
0: And then you felt it sit down on the, on, on the bed with you, right? Yes. What did that feel like? Did it feel like something pressing down the bed or did it feel like something plopping on your bed? Did it feel like
1: it, it felt was like actually... a person? Okay. It felt like it was a person. It was uh, a centralized mass that just on the edge of the bed, it, the bed weighed down just as if I had sat on it. How long did that last? Um, two seconds tops before I bolted. <laughs> when you bolted, did you look back at all? Or you didn't look, did oh, you? Oh, no. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Man, that's, that's some crazy stuff, man. That's some crazy experiences you've had in that house. And the fact oh, that yeah. your other siblings experienced stuff too, I mean, it definitely has to... Give you at least some comfort knowing that it's just—it really isn't you. It's, right. it's just something is going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. How long ago did your parents sell the house?
1: Um, they finalized selling it just maybe a year ago. Um, they had rented it to a couple of people over a few years. Um, I think they they moved out of it. Oh, maybe eight years ago. And I think you said
0: that most of these experiences you had in the house were up till you were about 18, right?
1: Uh, roughly, yeah. Um, I, I lived there. Okay, I moved out when I was 18, but I moved back in like a year later, just, uh, falling out with a roommate, and I lived there again for about another year and a half or something like that. So. Okay. So.
0: When you moved back home and even just going to visit mom and dad while they're still living there, Mm -hmm. everything was pretty normal? Nothing really happened after that?
1: Um, Well, I mean, outside of, you know, the usual, like, you know, you see somebody walk by out of the corner of your eye, you turn to look and there was nobody there. That would happen often. Um, you would leave the, like my, my brother would tell me that, uh, you know, he'd be watching TV late at night, maybe go into the kitchen to make a snack. He'd come back in and the channel was changed to a, uh, a soft core porn. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> the, the, we used to, well, we used to get, um, mailings that were addressed to the previous resident and it was always like something pornographic.
0: <laughs> That's interesting to me because... It, ha- it it shows a link from what's going yeah. on in the house to a previous owner, and right. you don't know anything about that previous owner, do you?
1: I I only know that people say he wasn't a very nice guy, and he had that coin collection, and my mom right. was upset that we would still get these uh kind of pornographic mailings addressed to him.
0: Now you might have said this earlier. I just can't remember. Did you did you say that? Did he die or did he just move out? No, oh, he died. Okay, gotcha. So that would obviously lead to the reasoning of his spirit being at the house. Uh, right. Do you know the story behind that? Did he die in the house? Do you know?
1: I, I really don't know. I don't think it would make any difference, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've go ahead. I, I've experienced, uh, like, I lived with uh, one of my older brothers for a little while, and his house, he, he built it brand new, and I had some interesting paranormal experiences there as well. Uh, I don't believe anyone has to die in a house in order for there to be a haunting in a house. It could be the land. There could be a spirit that, you know, it may be in life. They, they never settled down anywhere. You know, they could have been a homeless person. They could have been, you know, just travel for their job constantly. Um, I don't think every spirit is necessarily pinned to a location.
0: I absolutely agree with that. I don't think that at all. Um, in fact, I actually was on another show, uh, and we were talking about such things. It was a Bigfoot show. It's Sasquatch Chronicles. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, but uh, it, it was a Bigfoot show, and we were had this roundtable discussion, and we got on the topic of spirits and you know i i brought that up i said people think that spirits are contained to old buildings and old houses and that's just not true i mean they no. can they can be attached to inanimate objects to you know you could be walking through the woods who's to say ho- woods aren't haunted you know and so yeah. it's that de- there's definitely um room for open-minded thinking when it comes to the uh boundaries of what these things could do and i find mm-hmm. it <laughs> i just find it interesting that you were going to You were gonna uh, once once you found out the guy had the coin collection, you were gonna go find his treasure. Uh, I mean, I I made me laugh because actually in my house, uh, I'll tell you this story. Uh, The house that I live in now, we bought the house and it was completely renovated when we bought it. Uh, The previous owner he let the house go downhill big time, so he foreclosed on it. Contractors bought it and uh, they renovated the house. Well. Actually, I should rewind and say he didn't foreclose on it. The The house got, I guess, foreclosed because this guy got put in jail for uh, growing weed in the house. And actually, I think he had like a meth lab in my basement. Uh, oh, that's, wow. that's what my, my neighbors said. Because I live in a really quiet neighborhood. It's an older neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I have a dead-end road. Like It's not a whole lot of traffic in my neighborhood. And there's this one guy in the neighborhood selling weed and making meth in the basement. And... um <laughs> the room that he was doing this in is a crawl space and you know there's no windows in it but it's a really big room i mean it's the size of my living room cuz it's right below uh-huh. my living room and the whole floor is covered in dirt and there's a mound of dirt just piled up against one wall and i'm going to be talk I'm, I, I had a contractor come out to my house this week and i was talking to him about that room because i'm going to renovate it down there and hopefully turn it into my recording studio and mm-hmm. I told him about the story and stuff. And he brought that up about the treasure thing. He said, makes you wonder if he has anything buried in that dirt that they didn't find. I was like, you know what? <laughs> that's that's a really good idea. I, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe I find a couple thousand dollars hidden in the dirt right. when, when I dig it right. up. <laughs> but uh, nice. yeah, I mean, talk about buried treasure, you know, that would be really helpful. Talk about um, renovating a room and then finding the money to renovate the room with in the room. <laughs> But um, but yeah, man, that's some really interesting stories you got there. Uh, your final conclusion on this stuff, I'm assuming, is that it's multiple spirits in one house, right? Right. When it comes to all this stuff, before we get out of here, uh, what's your gut feeling when it comes to the spiritual realm? Do you think that they these things are one source entities, like they all come from the same kind of source? Or do you think that there's a lot of stuff going on here that we don't typically grasp in our kind of dimension?
1: Uh, I think there's uh, multiple sources, definitely. Um, the the white mask thing, I don't think was ever a human. So therefore, there's at least two sources that I know of.
0: Got you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, too. I mean, I, I definitely think that there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and, you know, as much as we try to explain... What we experience, we really don't have much of an idea because none of us have been on that other side of, you know, understanding that reality of the spiritual realm. Uh, right. Some people can access it, you know, but they don't live on it. You know, we don't understand mm-hmm. exactly what goes on. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and talking and sharing these accounts because they're fascinating. And I'm really glad you agreed to come on the show. So thanks a lot, man. No problem. All right, Paul. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And remember to go ahead on iTunes and rate and review the show for your chance to win a prize every month. If you had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me the email. My email address, again, is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. I hope everyone has a great week. Stay safe. And I'll see you right here next Saturday on The Confessionals.
1: Shut yeah.